0: Register at PACExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to the very first edition of Unpacked. With Healthcare Packaging, I'm your host, Sean Riley. Don't worry, all you Unpacked with PMMI devotees, Unpacked with PMMI isn't going anywhere. We are just expanding our empire a bit in an effort to provide the industry what it has told us it wants. Whenever we get the opportunity to accentuate some of our world-class PMMI Media Group written content with either a podcast or a video, we are going to provide it as part of our Read, Watch, and Listen campaign. While we have talked with our guest Karen Sukni before, this is the first time we are doing it under the Healthcare Packaging Magazine brand. For those who don't know, Karen took a very interesting path to her current role as Director of Editorial Content for Healthcare Packaging Magazine and as PMMI's in-house healthcare packaging expert. She was a chemical engineer in the healthcare industry before picking up a pen, or I guess a keyboard now, and becoming a packaging journalist. She provides perspective and depth beyond just reporting the facts. And what better topic to kick off the series than cannabis? Will cannabis laws ease up nationally for medicinal and adult use or become tougher? How has cannabis use increased during the pandemic? And what are we seeing in terms of new products, packaging, and packaging materials? Let's find out. And we're excited to welcome back to the podcast, Karen. Welcome back to the podcast, Karen.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sean.
0: Always my pleasure. So one of the aspects of the new administration that's, for obvious reasons, not going to get a whole lot of mainstream press right now with everything else that's going on in the world, kind of revolves around cannabis and legalization and all things like that. So while its legality has come, I mean, a long way, you know, in terms of what you can get in a state, whether recreationally, adult use or medicinally or in Canada, it's even better. There's still not a federal plan in place here in the U.S. So now that the, Senate races have been decided and we have a new president in place. Is it more likely that cannabis access will expand now that the Senate has kind of changed and Biden's in office? Could you just kind of speak to that? Like, wh- what do we have to look forward to from that point of view?
1: Sure. I mean, short answer to your question is yes. <laughs> access um, is, good. you know, Quite likely to expand um, under this new administration. So, something just to back up to the end of last year in 2020, um, the House had passed the MORE Act, which you know was really historic in that it was written to remove cannabis entirely from the Controlled Substances Act. And so, that's like the biggest step forward that we've seen on a federal level. It would take time for regulations to be developed, and you know, states could choose how they regulate cannabis. But that was just a huge step forward. Now that was passed in December and ended up sort of dying when the when the Senate adjourned for the year. But already this year, we've had some motion. Rep Stube from Florida, who himself is a Republican, he filed a proposal to remove marijuana from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 of the Controlled Substances Act in January. But as much of that is, you know, a small step forward. But you know, at least at the time of this recording, um, there have been recent comments from a few different reps and senators, including Chuck Schumer, saying that whatever bill is filed in the near future, it's likely to include components of multiple pieces of legislation from the last congress so they're kind of actively merging um, several bills so that they're not you know kind of piecemeal making all these little changes so i think that's definitely something to look forward to i think it's also really good to acknowledge that as important as these bills are um these former and existing laws have really you know targeted certain communities and and ruined lives and in the past couple of years with state legalization, wealthy investors have come in and started profiting. And so while they won't undo the wrongs that you know, these laws have have caused, um, social equity programs in states are going to need to play a huge role. And they have to basically improve a lot from where they stand right now. Um, there's still lots of predatory investors, um, solid applications, really high tax rates, there's all these factors contributing to this sort of lack of success in promoting minority owned business ownership. And so I don't want to downplay these. Importance of you know removing cannabis from from the Controlled Substances Act, but there mm-hmm. will certainly have to be um, other legislation um, taking place to help communities along and and really push us forward as a society.
0: Very interesting, and that that's something that's definitely not talked about enough. But it's not something that, that you would expect us to really touch on, and I hadn't really thought of it. I guess I think of it from like you said, it it has affected communities in a negative way, and now that it's becoming accepted, and there's stores that have it in certain states, it's still not a level playing field in terms of who's getting those stores and who's, you know, investing in those stores from there. So it is something that I guess we kind of have to look at from a bigger view than just the legalization of a of a substance. Absolutely. So so the last time that we talked about cannabis on here was with one of your colleagues about a year ago, can you talk about perceptions culturally kind of among the populace, like experts have come around on cannabis as a safe alternative to quote unquote, harder substances, whether adult or recreational, but How about the general population? Like, what are they thinking?
1: That's a great question. There was a recent Gallup poll that said that um, more than two thirds of Americans now support the legalization of cannabis. So kind of whether you believe in states rights, or you're more of a federal focused person, um, in either of those cases, the majority of the people have spoken and most of this country wants cannabis to be legalized. And so um, I just am looking forward to these laws that will represent the will of the people. And then also, I think that once we loosen up the laws a little bit, there's going to be so much progress in terms of medical research. And, you know, we all want our ill family members to have every, you know, tool at their disposal for when they're sick. And so um, there's just so much possibility with this plant that, you know, we haven't been able to do enough research on so many different compounds because of, you know, the restrictive laws. And so it's really going to open up so much in terms of um, medical innovation. And so this is what the people want, basically.
0: Right. That's also interesting, because that's the thing that doesn't really get talked about that much, where because it's not federally legal, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. it's hard to have places where you can test it, correct? Like to find out, you know, medicinally how it can treat this illness or this symptom. There's not, I, I don't think there's many at all, right?
1: Well, I think kind of the main problem, at least historically, was that all marijuana for research in the US could really only come from one university, which for lack of a better term, known to be not great quality. And so um, I just think that we've kind of been hampered by the fact that companies and growers have created such amazing products, and we have not been able to test those on diseases and illnesses yet. And so once we make it easier to expedite research applications and grant easier access to cannabis for researchers, everything is just going to really improve in terms of our medical research.
0: Yeah, it did support surprise me when i came across that that even though we have it legal in different states and stuff like that they can't research it they can just say we think it would be good for this this and this which just seems so not american when it comes to medicine type things um
1: yeah we want our freedom and we want it now so
0: yeah exactly so i guess what are we seeing on the consumer side um i know you just said that two-thirds of the people are for it are they educated on the the scope of the offerings, how the consumers view this beyond what they used to see back in the 60s and 70s.
1: Right. Where you would just get whatever your dealer had available. Exactly. No choice. Yeah. So things are astronomically different from those days. um, Consumers are highly educated. They want to know certificates of analysis or, you know, as they're known as DOAs. Um, They want to know the product origin, what sort of energy savings or, you know, regenerative agriculture processes were used in the grow. Consumers are just highly, highly educated. And so this can be a challenge for brand owners in terms of educating their customers on these things or answering those questions, um, particularly where packaging is quite small, (laughs) not a ton of real estate. And so you really have to rely on your social media, um, you know, stickers that you're adding on, you know, after that primary packaging, things of that nature to kind of get all this information across, you know, another issue that brand owners have to face is that consumer behavior, as well as dispensary policies have changed so much in the last year. So since March, when you know, the pandemic broke out. Um, Consumers aren't necessarily going to go into this dispensary and browse. I know that in some states, products are behind a glass wall, or you know, there's a bit of separation between the consumer in general. And so shelf appeal really standing out was already really important. But now they're really trying to limit how much time they're in the dispensary. So instead of browsing, a lot of things are, you know, click and pick up or they're using delivery. And so yeah, brand owners have to find ways to connect with customers. And also because of That lack of browsing, um, it really kind of highlights the need for really good images of your products and packaging just because, you know, the only touch point that you might have with your customer is going through social media or that photo on the nearest dispensary's website. And so it really has to stand out and be this high quality image and portray a lot just with a photograph.
0: Interesting. So it's gone from not being legal at all to almost a form of e-commerce where
1: mm-hmm.
0: other than the, the, the curbside pickup part of it, you're doing most of it online.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, certain markets differ. But yeah, definitely a lot of it has become this either completely e-commerce model or as close to it as possible while still you know picking up at a brick and mortar store
0: very interesting okay well then what have we seen in terms of products or or deliverables again we kind of touched on the, the typical use of marijuana is smoking it or um, i guess now vaping or edibles but in terms of products or deliverables and how it can be processed what, what are we seeing out there now
1: yeah, so I believe it was in seven different states, including California, Colorado and Michigan, there has been a rise in edibles. I mean, this, I think, kind of just makes common sense. They're discreet. And we're currently in a pandemic with a respiratory disease. And so, um, you know, some people are trying to limit how much they're um, smoking or inhaling things. Also, more and more seniors are interested in cannabis. And so, you know, where they may be a little bit intimidated by smoking something, you, you have a low dose. Cookie or gummy, any kind of edible, you know, as well as tinctures that you can just put under your tongue. Um, it's a lot less intimidating than smoking, especially if you already have, you know, lung issues. The other side of that, there is a lot of growth, but it can be a risky game for the producers. So, like Patterson, who's CEO at Market Hub in back in 2020, said, you know, big players, clients of his, like CBS, they, you know, got into CBD, but they prefer to stay, stay on the topical route for now. So that's, you know, patches and, and, bombs and things of that nature. Um, Retailers are really nervous about injectables just because there's still this lack of clarity from the FDA. And so it's kind of nerve wracking to sort of open up the channels to ingestibles when you don't sort of have this clear direction from the FDA that it's okay.
0: (laughs) Interesting. But why would that be the case with like a nutraceutical where they you see that they carry vitamins and things like that that might not necessarily go through the FDA?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that has to still do with the stigma and the fact that you know even if CBD is not necessarily cannabis that has psychoactive properties, cannabis is still in the Controlled Substances Act, and so I think you know maybe it'll open up once it's descheduled or, or removed off that list. <laughs>
0: Makes sense. Okay. All right. I guess we've t- you touched on it a little tiny bit, but just packaging—it's always been tricky for cannabis, especially. When you get into um, situations where you're trying to balance making them child safe, but still able to be used, you know, if it's a person dealing with arthritis, you know, a child safe package is not the best option all the time. Plus, you need it to be appealing and something that's engaging for the retailer or the consumer to say, you know, I want to take a look at this. So with that in mind, could you give us some things that are happening with packaging?
1: Sure. The industry as a whole is definitely still looking for more eco-friendly packaging. But, you know, as you said, it's really hard to balance these child resistance requirements with this desire for minimal packaging, especially when brand owners are smaller and, you know, have smaller volume orders. Um, you just can't get this customized, minimized packaging that really suits your product. It, you know, you kind of have to stick with what's off the shelf and what's off the shelf, maybe an over-packaging situation for you. Um, so it's really tough. I mean, suppliers are coming out with eco-friendly packaging. Um, there are certainly recyclable options. There are glass options. There are paperboard options, which include charge um, resistance features on them. And so there certainly, you know, are options there, but I think that there's still definitely more innovation that needs to take place in terms of that you know, really eco friendly, right sized packaging in materials that brand owners want. One thing that I thought was really unique was Melissa Griffin, one of our contributing editors um, covered this bespoke packaging system for flour that preserves terpenes. And so for listeners who aren't familiar with terpenes, they provide the smell and flavor and also possibly some of the pharmacological benefits of cannabis. And so you really want to preserve these compounds, but they're really volatile and tend to evaporate during storage. So this brand owner, it was called Virio Health, and their supplier, ebottles 420, they created this basket that fits inside the jar lid, and they insert a blend of terpenes into that basket in the packaging. And so the way the company describes it is that these terpenes that are, you know, included in the lid, basically, will resupply the headspace equilibrium, meaning that the terpenes in the flour won't have an equilibrium drive to fill that airspace in the jar. And so that ultimately helps to preserve the terpenes that are in the product during storage. So I thought that was really a pretty unique package compared to most of the products I've seen for flower packaging. On the other hand, um, we've also seen Santa packaging, they've created systems from reclaimed ocean plastics. And so the kind of unique thing that they're doing there is they're working with this company Oceanworks to ensure that the materials for a given package are pure so even though they're reclaimed ocean plastics they're solely hdpe or solely polypropylene and so because these are pure materials they can be recycled whereas if you you know take a mixture of ocean plastics and you have no idea which you know plastics are in there those couldn't be recycled in our standard recycling infrastructure so it's nice to see strides being made where you're finding that these reclaimed ocean plastics are now creating packaging that can then be recycled back into new products. So (laughs) it's definitely, you know, we're still in the middle of this sort of chicken and egg scenario where, you know, we don't necessarily have this really steady supply of pure reclaimed plastics. And so how can we create demand for them if we don't know the supply, but then, you know, how can we create this steady supply when we can't forecast the demand? And so definitely, it's still kind of this growing pain era, (laughs) where we kind of had to figure out how to balance, you know, supply and demand of of something that, you know, hasn't really been on the market for very long.
0: Interesting. Okay, well, then how about anything else to, to kind of put a button on the packaging end? Is there anything else on the material side that we haven't touched on?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I've heard rumblings that some brand owners want to be able to package cannabis products in hemp-based packaging. And so cannabis is one of the few natural products that could, in so many words, be packaged in its own material. Uh, we know that hemp is quite strong and um, it's, you know, biodegradable. The flip side of it degrading quickly is that it has a shorter shelf life than, you know, a standard plastic, but that may or may not be a problem depending on, you know, a brand owner's product life cycle. You know, how far is it to the last mile? How quickly do those products get used? And so shorter shelf life, you know, may not be an issue for a really fast moving product. So I'm kind of just sort of waiting and seeing um, what sort of innovation takes place uh, Mm -hmm. in that arena. But you know, Maybe one day cannabis and CBD products join the ranks of bananas and paper and they can be packaged in their own (laughs) material.
0: Yeah. And like you said, with shelf life and stuff like that, I'm sure we might get to a point, but we're not at a point where you're buying huge quantities of of cannabis (laughs) that you're going to you know, have to sit on a shelf for long periods of time. So, if it is something that you're going to have for a couple weeks or a month or something like that, a, a hemp package would be ideal because, again, it's all biodegradable. Absolutely. Very interesting. Yep. Okay. Well, then I guess, um, where else can listeners go for uh, more content on cannabis?
1: Well, Sean, as it happens, um, <laughs> The listeners can check out Packaging World's February cannabis supplement, and I'll make sure that we get a link to that at the bottom of the podcast page because, you know, it's a constantly evolving marketplace. Um, there are tons of innovative packaging solutions to keep up with. And um, so, yeah, that cannabis supplement just has a really cool, broad look at different, you know, trends in design, um, how consumer behavior, you know, impacts operations and more.
0: Perfect. I thank you again. This was a great talk. I learned things. Hopefully the people listening are going to learn things. Everybody always likes to hear about this because it's not often that you get a new product that can be packaged and processed and all good things like that. So I want to thank you again for coming on here with us, Karen.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
0: Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.